The scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're continuing in our sermon series, Best Year Ever, as we think about how to have a different kind of year. Around 12 years ago, a friend and I, we took a trip to Ireland together, and uh, we left our wives behind. It was a really bad idea. Um, We went to Ireland. We did everything touristy you possibly could think of when you think of a trip to Ireland. We went to uh, to the tour of the Guinness factory. I think there's a picture of that right there. Uh, yeah, look at that. Look at that long mane of hair I used to have. Went and toured the Guinness factory. We rented a car and drove on the wrong side of this island, nearly killing ourselves every five minutes. We went to the Cliffs of Moher. Right here is a picture of that. You know, this, you know, like, look at that picture. It's like the normal touristy picture here on the cliff of, uh, right there in Ireland, overlooking the beautiful ocean. We did everything that you would possibly think of. And then one day, we were like, hey, instead of doing everything that you expect, what if we just went to like middle of nowhere what if we what if we just went off this path and just did our own thing so we, we found this random highway we said all right we're going to drive two hours on this highway until we find a small town and we're going to spend the night there which I love to think about someone coming to you know like Texas and doing that like forget Austin let's go to Lano <laughs> or Snook or Lubbock you know, something like that in the middle of nowhere. So that's what we did. We drove down this highway. We found this really small town. We pulled over, 
And we asked, hey, do you guys have like a hostel or a hotel here? They were like, no. Uh, and we finally found someone who were like, you can sleep in my kid's room. So we, you know, like, okay, great. Not creepy at all. So we slept in their child's room. Uh, then we went out to like the one pizza place in town. And we found the one pub in town. We sat down in, in this pub. And we walked in. It was really dark. There's like 20 or so men scattered throughout this pub. Some were watching soccer. Some were by themselves. Some were talking. And it like we walked in there, and it was kind of a record scratch moment where they're like, who are you? And we started talking, and then like within 20 minutes, all of us, all 22 of us, were sitting around this one table laughing and telling stories. It was like exactly what we were hoping for. But then one of them just like flippantly said, he stopped conversation, he looked at me and said, hey, why don't you sing us a song? <laughs> like it was very normal. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, what? It's like, hey, sing us a song. And all the other guys are like, yeah, yeah, sing us a song. <laughs> and I, I'm not one to be afraid or have stage fright, but I literally was like, I cannot think of a song. Like right now, what song would you sing? 20 Irishmen staring at you going, sing us a song. And so I, I said, I, I'm sorry, I really don't want to sing you a song. And they kind of looked puzzled. And then one more said, will, will you please sing us a song? And I looked at my friend Luke, and he's like, I got nothing. I was like, I, I'm really sorry. I, I don't have a song to sing. And then they all kind of looked down, looked at each other, and then one by one peeled off back to their tables. And Luke and I were like, what just happened? It was super awkward. So then we left. The next night we go to Dublin, and we are on this thing called the Traditional Irish Music Tour. And on this uh, music tour, they're t teaching the customs and the tradition around, around Irish music. And the very end of this tour, we end up at, uh, at, this one, at this one place. And they said, now the greatest, so you know, the greatest honor someone from Ireland can pay you, right, is if they invite you to sing a song from your hometown. And Luke and I were like, oh. The guy was like, it's the greatest honor and it's also the the greatest form of disrespect for you to turn them down. <laughs> Painful. I oftentimes, I think back to that night, and I replay, like, what if, like, what if I, like, just sang out any song? Like, what, what if I just belted out a song? What if I didn't give in to fear? What if, what if I was willing to take a greater risk? I wonder what kind of thing, op what, what that night would have opened up to. I actually think that's kind of a truth in life, that life opens up for those people who have and choose courage. And too often, I think we are afraid of taking risks. We're afraid of stepping into the unknown, and we instead, when life gives us the opportunity to belt out a song from our home, we just look down, get comfy in our stools, and just start watching TV. And moments like that pass by us, without the experience of the breath and the beauty of life being opened up by courage. This morning, we're going to talk about how to have a different kind of year, to have a better kind of year. We have to be people who are willing to take risks. It is a spiritual endeavor to be a risk taker. I really, really believe that. One of Jesus' most effective tools he used to call people into discipleship and to lead them into, into discipleship was by calling them to take risks. Think about the way in which Jesus called his disciples. He interrupted most of their days and said, Hey, you, stop what you're doing. I want you to leave everything behind and come follow me. 
How is that not risky? I mean, we might get so used to this narrative, we forget. Like, imagine someone coming to you, interrupting your day, and say, all right, drop everything. I want to give you an opportunity. Why don't you, why don't you leave everything and follow me? Leave your nets, leave your home, leave your family, leave your old identity, leave your sin, leave it all, and come and follow me. And many people, I wonder, many people who said no for that call because it was too risky. We have one narrative where a man was called to leave all of his wealth behind and come and follow me, and he couldn't do it. He wasn't willing to take the risk. And so for many of us, we look at our comfortable life, and we hear Jesus say, how about you leave it all behind and come and follow me? This no-named homeless rabbi who would meander this way through Galilee for three years. Oh, and by the way, quickly into, quickly into this journey, he starts talking about how he's going to get killed. Oh, and by the way, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. I mean, the invitation of Jesus is not a simple, comfy, nerf-coated invitation. The invitation of Jesus is risky. And I think it still is risky for us today. Jesus illustrated this so beautifully in the parable that we just heard. Jesus uses this parable to talk about the kingdom of God. The way in which Jesus was reordering the world wherever he went. He was talking about his favorite topic, the kingdom of God. And he uses this parable or this story to describe how one can enter into this kingdom. How one can participate in this kingdom. I'm not going to retell the whole story, but just so we remember this. An owner went off on a trip, and he had three servants. He, he gave his resources. He gave this treasure to the three servants. And two of the servants, they invested it. And what is a part of every investment? Risk. You have to release it. You have to give it over. Investments are always risky. They had to put it to work. And they knew that once they released it, it could not come back. Possibly could go belly up. So this was a bit of a gamble. And this we understand this now when we think about this third servant, the one who saw this risk and said, I probably don't feel like I'm, I'm going to do that. So what did he do instead? He buried it. He hid it. Why? I think it's because he knew that if I, if I let go of it and I put it on the ground, at least I will know where it will be. It won't feel as risky. And so the master comes back and there is this day of reckoning. The first two servants, they went and they got their investment and they had found that it had doubled. And so they're able to go before their master and show this investment. And I think that this chart actually is pretty help, helpful for us. This chart that we're going to have, it's gonna, we're going to help describe what happens here. If you can go to the next slide, please. Perfect. Okay, so we have these two servants here. What is the action they, that, that they took? Go ahead and next slide, please. Awesome. So they invested. They risked. And because of that, this is what the outcome was. That they, if you remember in this story, that the master says, I'm, I want to invite you into my happiness. The outcome of, of being a risk taker of this investment was, hey, why don't you step into my happiness? Isn't that beautiful? And he also gave him a greater opportunity. Like it, the, this wasn't a one. You have shown yourself faithful. 
And so when you think about that, what spurred this on? What was the posture that we see for these, uh, for these two servants? Well, we find that, if you can't go to the next one, if you find that it was a posture of faith and courage, that they were being uh, responsible for what they were entrusted, but they also stepped out in courage. And this parable takes on this ominous tone when the second part happens. It's like a warning. It's a tragic warning for us. When the one servant had to show what he was entrusted, notice what happened. And this is verse 24 and 25. Uh, Then the man who had to receive one bag of gold came. Master, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And went out and hid your, whole, your, hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belonged to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Not fair, Jesus, right? Not fair. He already has ten. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wah, 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 wah. (laughs) Like, oh, really? All right, let's, let's look at this chart again. For the servants who invested in risk, what did this one servant do? Well, the action that he took was he hid and buried, right? He hid and buried. Go to the next slide, please. And what was the outcome of this? There was weeping and gnashing in the dark. <laughs> I would, just one of these are bad. Be thrown out in the dark to weep or to gnash, but all three. Ugh. And what was the posture? Just think about this story. What was the reason that he gave for hiding it? I was afraid. I was afraid. The posture of fear held back this servant from not only having a posture of faith and courage, but this fear also held him back from experiencing the master's happiness, being entrusted with more. It's amazing how fear impairs the spiritual life. Fear is potent. This is why one of the most common commandments in the Bible is what? Do not not be afraid. Do not have fear. It's like God is trying to say, hey, you're not able to do this thing with fear riddling your mind, your heart, and your soul. It's impossible. Do not be afraid. It's impossible for us to be risk-takers if we are littered with fear. This parable, I think, uh, should jar us awake. I think it's trying to do, I think that's what Jesus is trying to do in this. Like, the listeners of this story, and even us today, which outcome would you prefer? Right? To enter into the master's happiness, to be entrusted by God with the precious things in this world, or to be in darkness, to weep, to gnash your teeth. The interesting thing about this story is, did you, do you remember the blessing that the master gave uh, the servants who invested and risked and gambled? 
It's, this is interesting because as a pastor for the last 12 years, I've had the incredible privilege to be with some people in their last days of their life. And oftentimes, uh, one of the questions I'll ask them is, what do you, what do you hope to hear from, from God as you step into the next part of life? And the most common responses in this parable, which is this, people long to hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. Like, that's just like a natural longing that we have from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. This parable is saying, if you want to hear this longing actually come to fruition, be risk takers for me. And the other thing that's interesting, when I've spent time with people deep into the fourth quarter of their life, what's their biggest regret? I played it safe. Just wish I could go back and do it over again. I would not play it as safe. I would have risked more. I would have lived with more courage. And it's interesting, when I have those encounters with my friends that are nearing death, it's like a form of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, if I could do it all over again, I'd seize the day. I'd give it my all. I think this parable is trying to move that conversation for us earlier on in our life. To say, hey, if you want to participate in my kingdom, you have to be willing to take a risk. You have to be willing to take a risk. I wonder what God sees when he looks at this community. I wonder what, what your father sees when he looks over you. Perhaps he sees people who faithfully took leaps of faith. They just went after things that they were called to do, the dreams that they were given, the callings, the abilities, the opportunities lay before them. And God sees many of us who've stepped in, who are willing to take a risk and goes, oh, well done. Well done. I'm so excited that you get to experience my joy. And I wonder also if he looks at this gathering today, this church, and says, please don't bury that dream I've given you. Please don't sidestep that opportunity. I put that calling in your heart. Don't bury it. Live it out. Be risk takers. It's not like this God is, I don't think God's looking at punishing us. I just think it's probably sorrow that a good father might have saying, Oh, if only, if only you would take a risk and trust that I would show up there. If only that. I think this parable is saying that the kingdom belongs to courageous and wise risk-takers. In this story, more people were invited into the master's happiness. We have two servants who were invited into that than didn't. But I feel like for a majority of our lives, do you feel like you're exercising much courage in your day-to-day life? Do you feel like you're stepping in to, oh, this is going to be difficult. I have to step into this challenge. I don't think many of us are living with courage day-to-day. And, it's, and I just kind of want to redirect us in some ways that I want to move us from a perspective that a risk-taking means you have to drop everything and move to Africa, or a risk-taking means you have to make some crazy, uh, illogical decision in your life. I think, what if God is looking at our lives and saying, if only you would infuse courage in your day-to-day life, it would be less mundane. What if you just insert and infuse courage so that you could see all the opportunities to take risks within your day? So for me, I think it's risky. I I feel like it's risky for me. It feels risky to lead my family in a Bible study once a week. 
I've never seen it done before. It's, it's weird and awkward. It feels risky for me to do that. It feels risk me, risky for me to intentionally pray with my wife. It just, you know, I don't know why, it just feels awkward, sometimes cumbersome. It feels risky for me to look for spiritual conversations I could have with my neighbors, my coworkers. It's so much easier to sidestep opportunities to have these spiritual conversations. It just feels risky. It feels risky for me to actually walk in vulnerable accountability with a friend where every question is on the table. Any question he could ask of me about my life, it's on, it feels risky for me to have that level of vulnerability. It feels risky for some of us to sign up for a vine group. It feels risky for us to serve. It feels risky for us to think about all the things that we've been entrusted and to seek to use them with courage. But I think God is looking at our life going, what are you going to do with all of these opportunities? There are other people in this room that you have bigger risks to take. You're looking at career changes. You're looking at relationships, whether you need to step in a relationship or out of a relationship. You have other opportunities. You might have a calling or a dream that's been dormant for a while. And here you are at a precipice moment. Maybe God put something in your heart and you have found a way uh, to dig a hole and to bury it, to silence it. And it's kind of like the night of the living dead. Like you're looking at the little patch of dirt and it starts moving. Oh no, hand starts popping out of the dirt, right? It's there nagging you. I just want to give you some help in discerning. And if you're, not, if you're not in this place right now, you will be one day. So I just want to give you some helpful tools. How do you discern whether a risk is a wise risk? Not all risks are wise risks. I'm not saying like just start acting in a foolish, dumb way. Any risky thing, you have to go do it. I'm not saying that. But there are risks that God is calling us to make. How do we discern that? I'm not sure about you, but I do think that God speaks to us clearly. But most of my life, it's, it's hard for me to discern God's will. Am I alone in that? Like, is it also seem veiled to other, to other people? So I just want to give you some helpful tools of how do you discern if a risk is worth taking. First question is, uh, is it grounded in God's word? Is this risk grounded in God's word? Whatever you're wrestling with, go to God's word. Run it through the rubric of the scriptures. This is why the psalmist says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That God's word has been a gift to us to show us the way of God into this world. And talking to one of my Jewish friends, Sandy, who many of you have met here at this church, I asked him, I was curious about the word Torah. Because in the Christian tradition, we, we define, redefine Torah, we, uh, translate it as, as to mean law which is, it just kind of seems rigid and not personable. So I was curious. I was like, what does the word Torah mean to the Jewish community nowadays? And he said, it's instruction. The Torah means instruction, that this is the way in which God has planned it to work. Life is meant to work in this way. This is the gift of the Torah, is that we get to find out the way in which to live. And so we have for us God's word for us to discern if these risks are in alignment with who God is and how God has wired us to receive God's instruction. The second uh, way that you might be able to discern if a risk is worth taking is do your praying friends agree? So God gives us his word, but sometimes it's, it's still difficult. And we, we have friends in our life, our praying friends, they are also a gift for us to discern God's will because we have blind spots. 
I have blind spots. I need friends who step in and go, hey, Mark, I think you're kind of missing this one thing. I think you might, you might be missing out on this one other idea, or I don't see that this is what God has prepared you for. And so we have to go to our praying friends. I'm not talking about your agreeable friends, right? The friends, oh, yeah, whatever. I just, I'm for you. I'm for you. Yeah, of course. I'm talking about your friends who love you enough to disagree with you. You say, hey, no, I, I don't think that's God's best for you. I'm talking about your friends who are, who are slow to speak and fast to pray. Those are friends that God has given you to help you discern God's will in your life. By the way, are you that friend? Do you want to be that friend? I do. And the third way we discern uh, if a risk is worth taking is, does it draw out the best in you? Another way to say this is, does this decision move you more to Jesus and to his likeness? Does this decision move you more towards who Jesus is and, and into his likeness? When we uh, come up to a big decision, uh, oftentimes it draws out things within our heart and our soul. And we have to be mindful, this is difficult, but we have to be mindful of what is this pulling out of me? We can make decisions that are fueled by ego, by materialism, by fear, by amb- ambition. But we also can make decisions that draw out compassion and faith and mercy and loving kindness. For example, Henry Nouwen, he was a Dutch uh, priest in the Catholic tradition. He was also a theologian and an author. His reputation was incredible. He was, he was a widely known New York Times bestseller. He would be read all throughout the world, but his reputation was also as an intellectual. And so it brought him to places to teach like Yale and Harvard. Here's a picture of uh, Henry Nouwen speaking at Harvard. You know, the best of the best, right? Next to Texas A&M. Um. <laughs> he was known in Christian circles throughout the world. And then one day he was invited to a wedding in Ontario, Canada. And uh, um, meanwhile, his heart was struggling. He was entering a really dark place. So as he was going to Ontario, Canada, he stopped off at a home for the physically and intellectually challenged uh, people called Daybreak. Right outside Ontario. And while he was there, a member of the home was badly hurt in a car accident. So Nowen slipped into a mode of a priest where he started caring for the people in that home that was, they were struggling, offering pastoral care. And at the end of that day, uh, these many residents said, will you stay and be our pastor? He said yes. He left Harvard and the ivory towers all the important dignitaries that he would fly and speak to. And he spent his days, many days there, serving and caring and loving for these individuals. And not only did he bless them, but that decision drew out more joy and love and kindness in his life than he had had in years. He had a spiritual revival in his soul. That decision drew out the best in Nowen. It made no sense. It was incredibly risky. It actually involved real loss of that type of identity that he built up. It pruned him of his pride and ego and acclaim that had riddled his heart. And being at Dayspring, no one cared who Henry Nowen was. They only cared if he remembered their name. 
This decision drew out compassion, gentleness, and patience, and grace, and joy. What Nouwen didn't know is that after that decision, 10 years later, Nouwen would die suddenly of a heart attack. He was on a speaking tour in the Netherlands. Instead of being buried in his hometown in, in, in Holland, do you know where he wanted his grave to be? At Dayspring. He had his, uh, he had his body put in a pine box and brought to Dayspring. And the residents of Dayspring lovingly colored the pine box, decorated it before he was put to rest. And I doubt, I just, I'm taking a guess here, but I, I doubt that Henry Nowen would look back at those 10 years and go, oh, what a waste. My guess is instead, he said, that's a risk I'm so grateful I was willing to make. And furthermore, I can imagine the father saying, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, life is way too short to play it safe. It's way too short to play it safe. So at the risky invitation of Christ to die to self and to serve everyone, I just want to challenge you to draw courage. And next time you're in Ireland and someone asks you to sing a song from your home, take a deep breath and then belt it out. Blaming all my roots, I showed up in boots. More importantly, for us to go in this world and boldly sing the songs of our deliverance. And maybe other people will sing along. Let's pray.